Our reading, are we on? Our reading is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 14. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes any one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not look down on any of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. This is the Gospel of Christ. Thank you very much, Carol. Well, just when you think a morning can't get any better than giving a COVID talk, <laughs> you get that passage. Did you hear what was in that passage? It is tricky, isn't it, the, um, talking about the COVID stuff. It's, um, it just causes emotions. A, a few weeks ago, I had to write for the um, Ministry Matters, which is the, the publication that goes out to the diocese. And I wasn't writing about the COVID thing. I was writing about some other stuff, but I just wrote a, like a paragraph on the COVID thing at the end. And I thought what I'd written was not controversial, i.e. I said... I'm not giving advice on things which I'm, you know, I don't have any expertise in or anything like that. All I'm urging us to do as Christians is not be selfish when we make decisions. It needs to be about the good of other people, not just our own personal preference and things. And please, let's be um, graceful as we discuss and debate. I got more, <laughs> I got more complaint letters over that than anything I've written. So it's just, it's amazing what it, uh, what it brings us to. So that's all I'm encouraging us to do. And now I get to a very uncontroversial passage and easy to hear and uh, things from Matthew 18. Let me pray a lot. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege we have, and we know now that it is a privilege to still be able to meet together this morning. It's a lovely morning. Uh, we're inside. We're with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have the privilege of hearing our Lord Jesus speak. 
but they are hard words. There's some strength behind them. There's some depth to the meaning this morning. Some of them are quite confronting. And so we, I pray that as we hear them and as we feel the weight of them, that we would, we, would, we would feel the weight. We would think about what they mean for us personally, for the way we live, the way we have interactions with others, the way we live in your world. And please, by the power of your spirit, give us the grace, the desire, and the discipline to change if there are things we need to put into practice. We would love to become more like Jesus this morning. So work within us by your spirit, we ask, in his precious name. Amen. Well, as I said, we've just had read to us by Carol a heck of a passage. I wonder if you picked up on it as she was reading through it. Let me just say two opening things about it before we get into it. Firstly, it's very current. Uh, I don't know if you picked it up, but this is basically a goat conversation that's happening between Jesus and the disciples. Very trendy, very now, to have a conversation about who the goat is. Goat meaning the acronym greatest of all time. There are lots of sports conversations about who's the great in different uh, sports. In basketball, is it Michael Jordan or is it LeBron? In rugby, is it Richie or is it Pine Tree? It's neither, it's Michael Jones. Endless debates working out who's the greatest. And we, we like these conversations. We like having them and thinking about it. It reveals a lot about the other person. Have you ever noticed that in these conversations about uh, who people think the goat is? Uh, it, it shows what they value whether it's commitment or heart or speed or skill, it shows a lot who they, or they just follow the crowd. Richie McCall. Uh, all these, it, it reveals a lot about the person, but it's very now. And that's what prompts these words from Jesus. Have a look at verse 1. The disciples come to him and they ask him, who's the greatest? Not the greatest at cricket, not the greatest at rugby, for something far more important. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And you can read that and go, oh, good question, disciples. What are you going to say, Jesus? And we want to hear what Jesus says because we know he knows what he's talking about. If I was to say after the service this morning, please stay afterwards for half an hour. I'm going to talk about who the goat of rugby league is. I can imagine no one would stay for that half an hour. Whereas if I was to say Andrew Johns or Jonathan Thurston or someone else is coming over to do it, a lot more people would stay because I want to hear what he has to say on this. Well, I want to hear what Jesus has to say on the issue of who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So it's a very current, very now passage and issue that we're thinking about this morning. Secondly, it's a very strong passage. It's very you might almost say harsh and hard. I personally think these may be some of the strongest words in the New Testament. Almost certainly the strongest words we see on the lips of the Lord Jesus. He's going to talk about people drowning in the depths of water. Lots of us have had dreams like that, and it's a very powerful image and disturbing image. He's going to talk about being thrown into the fires of hell. He's going to speak about people cutting off their hands and cutting off their feet and plucking out their eyes. He's going to speak about being excluded from the kingdom of heaven. It is strong stuff that's in our passage this morning. Therefore, I can't pull my punches. I've worried about preaching this because I've sat under and felt the weight of it this week. But it would be wrong. I wouldn't be doing justice to Jesus' words if I tried to soft soap them. I wouldn't be doing you a favour, I'd be doing an injustice to our Lord. Uh, I actually worry that as we've moved into a time when we don't want to offend people, even within the church, we do soft soap and water so much of this today, and that's why as a church, we've lost our backbone in lots of areas. We've lost our strength and our way and our commitment. 
I'd urge you this morning, remember, if the content of these words feel uncomfortable or, or heavy or harsh, they come from Jesus, the most loving man who's ever walked on this planet. They come from the words and the intent of the one who didn't just say things, but put them into practice as he went to the cross for the good of others. He's not saying things purely to be offensive. He's not trying to hurt feelings. He's saying these things because in his mind, they are crucial. They are essential. We need to hear them. So we can't muck around with them. We can't downplay them or minimize them. So this is a very current, very now kind of passage. It's also a very strong passage. So with those two things in mind, let's have a look at it and see what we see. Just before we look at the opening, I just want to remind you, in the passage last week, which Joel brought to us from chapter 17, only a few verses before this, we found Jesus telling his disciples again that he had to die. Now I just point that out because it shows almost straight away the insensitivity of the disciples. They've heard him say, I have to die, and they go straight into, yeah, okay, Jesus, now tell us, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? If you think about why Jesus is so strong in his tone in these words, this is part of it. It shows that the disciples are thinking the wrong way. It's an interesting question, but they're not thinking the right way, Jesus' way. They're, they're insensitive. But as I said before, it is still interesting. Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I also want you to know that the disciples have got more in mind than just give us a name, Jesus. They want to know, now, what does Jesus value in the kingdom? Uh, what, do, what should I be exhibiting more and more from a positive point of view, perhaps negative? Uh, how do I work my way up the ranks and become greater and greater in the kingdom of heaven? What will Jesus' answer tell me about how I can be great in the kingdom of heaven? But Jesus doesn't answer it in any way that they could have imagined. Look what he does. The question is, uh, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus does an action and then he speaks. Verse 2, he does an action, he calls over a little child and stands the child in amongst the group and then he speaks in verse 3. And the rest of our passage, all the verses that Carol read out, are just Jesus speaking. It's his answer. There's no story in this part, there's no narrative, it's just the words of Jesus. And to help us get it, wrap our heads around, because he says a lot in these verses, to help us kind of keep it in mind, I'm going to break his answer up into four points. Four H's. Be humble, be helpful, be holy, be horizontal. I'll explain them, especially the horizontal one in a moment. But uh, uh, I want to say, first and foremost, these things are not all equal. The first one is the most important and everything else flows out of it. Be humble. Be humble. That's what Jesus says. But then he says these others, be helpful, be holy, be horizontal. And it's almost as if if you do these three, you're being humble. Now, I shouldn't mention the, the four, you won't find the words there, you won't find him say horizontal there, uh, and they're not as discreet as I'm making out today. Some of them overlap and bleed into each other. But I'm giving you these four headings to help you kind of keep it in mind. Firstly, be humble. Have a look at verse 3 and 4. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. As soon as he says, I tell you the truth, you know you've got to listen. That's Jesus saying, I'm about to say something big. I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, think on this for a moment. They've asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, you guys just worry about getting into it. 
he assumes that we are not naturally or automatically in the kingdom of heaven. Something has to happen to us for us to get into the kingdom of heaven. And he's always interested in what you have to do to get into it. He says, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, because I find this interesting. In John chapter 3, if you know the Gospel of John, you'll know the chapter. It's Jesus has a little interaction with Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, and he says that in order to, for a person to see the kingdom of God, a person needs to be born again. And we use that phrase all the time as Christians. We say, well, you've got to be born again. Well, he says the same thing here with just as much power and conviction, but we never normally think of this image. He says, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What do you need to be a Christian? You need to be born again. What do you need to be a Christian? You need to change and be like a child. So I ask you this morning, are you a child? Are you like a child? What does it mean to be like a child? Well, it means that you're innocent and pure. No, it doesn't. I've got three children. I love my children, but I didn't have to teach them how to sin. They were naturals. They weren't innocent and pure. That's not what he's talking about here. What he means by becoming a child, changing and becoming like a child, he explains in verse 4, whoever humbles themselves like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, what had this child done? Well, verse 2, listened to Jesus, trusted Jesus, and obeyed Jesus. That's what this child had done. Because that's what children do. They know that they are reliant. They know that they can't do things themselves. And so this child had listened to Jesus, trusted Jesus, obeyed Jesus. That's listened. Now, children don't always do that. Sometimes they don't listen. Sometimes they don't trust. Sometimes they don't obey. But that's what this child had done. And that's what Jesus is saying we need to do. Humble ourselves. Listen, trust, obey. Trust and obey is faith and repentance. Do you know you need Jesus? Do you listen to him, trust him, and obey him? Do you know that he doesn't need you? You need him, he doesn't need you. It's not an equal relationship. The wonderful thing, he loves us. He wants us, does everything he can for us, but he doesn't need us in the same sense. Or do you and I actually demand that he fits into our standards, our priorities, our preferences, our lifestyle? Are we humble? before the Lord? Do you put God first and then others next and then self last? Or do we buy into the wisdom of this age where we've got to take care of number one? We can so easily, when it comes to God, slip into pride and arrogance and think that God's actually lucky to have us. We change the lyrics to one of my all-time favorite Christian songs, Rock of Ages. We don't do this explicitly, we just do it implicitly. Something in my hand I bring. Uh, the lyric is, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to his cross I cling. But we so easily slip into pride and arrogance. We're to change and be like a child, be humble when it comes to the Lord. We need him. We're reliant on him. We've got to listen, trust, and obey. That's what this child did. Be humble. Uh, if you're ever wondering what that looks like, we have the privilege of following the one who put that into effect more than anyone else. The one who didn't grasp the glory of heaven, but humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. For Jesus, it was about what glorifies God and what looks after everyone else. That's what it is for us. Be humble. 
awful when we as Christians are arrogant or have pride. We're to be humble. So that's the, uh, the, the kind of main H. Then there's three smaller H's, which I think are about us being humble. So secondly, be helpful. What Jesus goes on to say in verses 5 to 7 is, it's not just us as an individual. It's not, when you're thinking about what, what's great in the kingdom of heaven, it's not just about your performance. It's about how you look after others. Be helpful. And especially, he's going to say here, look out for the lowly, the unlikely, the lost, the least. This is one of the areas I feel like Jesus' words are not easily or automatically understood by you and I today because he uses a child as an example and we would see that as a positive thing. If if I was to bring a little child up here, everyone would go, oh, aren't they cute and it's great and it would be a positive example. We love children. Uh, Many of our lives revolve around children. Today they get the priority in most aspects of life. Not then. Back then, children, although seen as a blessing from God, were ignored because they didn't pull their weight. They didn't contribute to society. They weren't able to provide or add much value to normal life. Children were seen but not heard until they got to an age when they could do something. So Jesus is saying in these things, welcome even the lowly, even the least amongst you, even the ones that are kind of invisible. And he says there in verse 5, whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. How do you welcome other Christians? Think about it on a Sunday at church, but think about it in normal life too. How do you welcome them? Are you just looking out for the ones who you enjoy or who could further your Christian career or, uh, or do you look out for the least and the lost? There's no, there should be no partiality in Christian circles, yet so often there is, even amongst us. Jesus is saying, if, the, if you welcome a little child in my name, you're welcoming me. I saw an, uh, an article, it was a, um, a report, it was a clip on TV uh, a few weeks ago about, it was about one of the Hillsong pastors in the States who's fallen from grace, sadly. It was a really sad thing, but it was talking about uh, the church there had developed a culture of celebrities coming. There were some big-name sports people, there was people like Justin Bieber, and they roped them off from the rest of the congregation. There was a VIP section in the church. What a terrible thing to do. We we treat them differently. We welcome them differently. Jesus says, if you welcome the least, these little children, you're welcoming me. But it's very easy to point a finger at them and think, well, we'd never do that here. And yet we can do that here. We treat people in Christian circles um, because of their uh, position or their role or their value to us. or There should be no place for it. Jesus goes on, though, to say not only do we need to welcome them, we need to care for them spiritually, the least and the lost. Uh, Here he says we must not cause them to sin. Literally, it says, cause them to stumble. And Jesus says this is so important, so crucial, that we care for other people spiritually. We don't just take care of myself spiritually. We care for them spiritually. It would be better for a person to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea rather than cause others to stumble. That is how much God cares for the least of his children spiritually. Forget who's the greatest and cherish the little ones. Care for the small, the weak, the lowly. What you and I do, it's not just about what's best for me, it's looking after them, all Christians. Remember the children here are all Christians, but especially the lowly. 
Now, how do we cause them to sin or to stumble? We can do it in lots of ways. False teaching is the most obvious. This is why false teaching is the thing that's hammered more strongly than anything else in the New Testament. Because if we're teaching wrong truths and leading people astray, it's dangerous for them and it's terrible for us. But it's not just that. When we abuse our freedoms for and, and not care how that affects other people, just think about that for a moment. There's lots of things as Christians we can do. We're free to do. It's not necessarily sinful. But we should set those aside if it endangers other people. Like we would do with an alcoholic. I wouldn't drink in front of an alcoholic. I don't want to put that temptation in front of them. But sometimes as Christians we go, well, I can do that and I should be able to do that. No, you should be caring how that affects other people more than just standing on our own rights. Walking over consciences like I spoke about before. These are things where we can, we can cause our brothers and sisters to stumble, to sin, and woe betide us. What it's saying is we're supposed to have an attitude where we care, not just about what we do, but how that will be read and, and affect others. I still think the biggest difference I went through in life uh, with this was when I became a parent. And I suddenly realized I, I'd never been personally motivated to, to live in certain ways until I realized I really want my children to see me live a better life. I want to do it for them. I don't want to be a hypocrite and I don't want to be a fool and I don't want to be weak and I want to set as good example as I can for them. That's to, to, supposed to be us with Christians, as Christians, not causing our brothers or sisters to stumble. And Jesus says it's so important. He uses a horrifying image. Then Jesus goes on. So that's be humble. Then be helpful. Jesus goes on to say, as well as making sure you don't make the little ones sin or stumble, you yourself don't sin. Be holy. This is the third one. Be holy. I want you to hear the weight of the words that Jesus says here. Verse 8. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to end a life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Jesus says here, be holy. Be holy. Don't sin. How many of us truly see sin this seriously today? Today, to my shame, often I'm pretty casual on sin pretty nonchalant about sin. If I'm going to get worked up about sin, it will normally be other people's sin, and I'm pretty relaxed with my own. We're not passionate about holiness. I'm not. We're not driven to be godly and put sin to death in our lives. But Jesus couldn't speak more powerfully about the destructive power and nature of sin than he does here. And although I take it he's speaking figuratively, he's speaking as powerfully as he can. Notice what he says with the eye. He doesn't just say, take your eye out. He says, gouge it out, and even then that's not enough, and then throw it away. He's saying, get as far away from sin as you can. Flee sin. Friends, what you and I do matters. The things that we take part in, the things we join in, it affects us. It affects our souls. It affects our feelings. It affects our relationships with other people. I'm normally the grumpiest and the worst with other people when I'm feeling guilty about myself. I'm normally the worst and most distant in my relationship with the Lord when I know I'm not living the way that pleases Him. It affects us. 
And some of you, even as I'm saying these things this morning, will know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that you've been nonchalant with sin, carrying on with certain patterns of behavior or actions, leaving it unaddressed in your life. And Jesus says here, don't. It matters what you do with your hands. It matters where your feet take you. It matters what you look at and watch. That's the imagery that Jesus is speaking about here. Just think about the eyes and the difficulty it can bring us into. There's nothing wrong with the eyes in and of itself. God's given us eyes so that we can delight in beauty, but so often it can cause us problems. It can be the vehicle for discontent. I see something and I don't have it, and I, uh, I covet it, and I'm discontent in my relationship with God because all I can see is that, and I don't have it, and I want it. It can be the vehicle for us seeing other people do stuff and then uh, copying them and making the same mistakes. Monkey see, monkey do. It can be the conduit for lust. That's just the eye. And what Jesus is saying here is sin matters eternally. Jesus doesn't just speak about eternal fire and hell without cause. Sometimes even... Those of us as Christians in the church, we say, why do we go on about sin all the time and um, uh, don't we go on about it too much? Shouldn't we be talking about some other things? This is the reason we go on about it because Jesus says this is its level of importance. Jesus says literally this is a matter of life and death, not just life and death, uh, heaven and hell, eternity. This is what Jesus says about it. So be holy. What do you need to cut off in your life? It may be a particular place. When you go to that place, you slip into the old ways. You take part in those things that used to be part of your life and shouldn't be anymore. There may be a particular place you need to cut out. There could be a particular person. When you're with them, you change. When you're with them, they tempt you. When you're with them, they're... You may need to cut them out. Maybe a particular passion and activity because you, you enjoy it and you like it. There's some part of it that you kind of love, but it's leading you away from God. It's sin. Don't toy with it. Cut it out. Don't pretend it's not that serious or it's not affecting you. There may be a particular day of the, the, the day or night that um, you're most susceptible. We'll put something else in the diary. We can do without most things in life. For some people, it's their phone. And they think, well, but I can't do without my phone. You can do without your phone. You can certainly do without a smartphone. Is there a dumber thing in the world than the smartphone? Yes, us that use it and misuse it and abuse it. Get rid of your phone. Don't muck around with it. Because Jesus says this is the stakes. Whatever it is for you and I, be holy. We must be holy. So be humble, be helpful, be holy. Fourthly, lastly, be horizontal. It doesn't mean go to sleep. It means make sure you know you're on the same level as everyone else. Do you see what Jesus says there in verse uh, 10? See you do not look down on one of these little ones. Jesus says make sure you know you're on the same level as others. You're not above them. This is what Jesus goes on to talk about in the rest of the verses. See that you don't look down on one of these little ones. Remember, these were the ones that were invisible, the least and the lowly in that society. Be horizontal. Make sure you're looking people in the eyes equals not looking down on them or not even seeing them at all. And then Jesus gives two examples of why, he says, you shouldn't look down on who you think are the least in the kingdom. 
The first one is slightly odd to our ears in verse 10. For I tell you that there, that's a possessive there, it's talking about the little ones, there, the little child's angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? You may not have picked that up as Carol was reading it. This is actually the verse where I think most people get the idea of guardian angels coming from. Because Jesus seems to be saying that the angels of these little ones are in heaven seeing the face of the Lord. Now, today lots of Christians look down on the idea of angels, and, um, but I take it that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. I believe in angels. I don't think it's probably a personal guardian angel. I, don't, I can't see that anywhere else in the scriptures. But the Old Testament talks about nations having angels. The book of Revelation talks about, remember in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, it talks about writing the letter to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, to the angel of the church of Smyrna. Uh, God's people have always had his messengers looking out over them. So I think that's what's going on here. But Jesus' point is, he's saying, why would you look down on someone who's got God's angels himself in heaven looking at my face? That's how valuable this child is. They've got the angels of God looking out for them and looking after them. You don't look down on someone like that. You cherish them. You love them. You esteem them. You value them. Then the second example of why you shouldn't look down on them is uh, the, the lost sheep. And God, his point is, God loves all his people. Don't look down on any of them. If God loves them, not only do the angels look after them, his son died for them. Who are we to look down on any of them? Or not welcome them, or not treat them with them? Don't look down on any of God's people. God loves the ugly. He loves the unloved. He loves the strange, and the odd, and, the, and our society today the elderly and the unvaccinated. I'm talking about these groups of people because these are the groups of the people I think today, these are the children. Children doesn't fit in with our our time today. He'd be using another group of people. But God loves these people. How dare we show anything other than respect, love, dignity and reverence? We're to be horizontal. If we look down on people, we've forgotten who we are. Because we're the people, Jesus says, who have to change and become little children. We're the people who have to be humbled. Then we're never going to look down on anyone because we know what we were forgiven and what we've had to be and what we've received from the Lord. It'll change our attitude. Do you see the challenge of this passage? Let's put it all together. The disciples' question was one which I think is interesting. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And behind it, I think, they were saying, where do I rank? And what do I need to do to get up the ranks? And uh, what, what do I need to do? Who do I butter up to? And all that kind of thing. And we, we think that way in the world. We value today the important, the ones with looks or status or names, the ones who can move us forward. And Jesus says, you're thinking the wrong way when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. If you want to know about greatness in the kingdom of heaven, be humble. And as soon as you're humble you will then not just be thinking about yourself and your performance and greatness, you'll be looking out for how you can best be with others. You'll be making sure you're holy and you'll be making sure you don't look down on other people. Be humble, be helpful, be holy, be horizontal. I pray that you and I will be. Because the more we do this, the more we will please the Lord and set a wonderful... The more we'll look after each other and the more we'll point people to Jesus. I'd be very surprised this morning if there wasn't at least one area that you would like to pray for this morning. So I'm going to pray on all of our behalf. I've certainly been praying for myself this week from this passage. Can I ask you to join me in prayer?
Father, forgive us for those times that we think of greatness as we do in this world, when we think it's to do with strength or autonomy, skills, uh, where it's a reason to look down on others. And we thank you for these sobering words from the Lord Jesus. I pray, Father, that we would be humble and that with humility would come just such a thankfulness for who you are and what you've done for us, such a confidence in you, and that that would completely change the way we live, that we would seek not just our own good but being helpful to others, not looking down on others but treating them with the same kind of worth and reverence and dignity that you've shown us. And I pray that we would be holy. There may be some amongst us even now who we, we know areas of life where we need to change, where we need to put things uh, to an end, cut things off, because we want to live as you would have us live. If there are, Father, give us both the, des- the desire and the discipline to be able to do that. Uh, it may be something that we've struggled with for a long time. Uh, thankfully, we're not alone. We're, you give us your spirit, you give us each other. And we pray that the more we would be able to live in this kind of way, the, the better we would be a blessing to our other Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, the better members of uh, our society we would be, and the more effectively we would point people to the only hope in this world, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.